Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Miles Noland from Treeside Capital. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Miles is a principal at Treeside Capital, and they invest in manufactured housing communities, RV parks, and self-storage in Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, and Tennessee. They are based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and currently own and operate around 1,300 units, worth around $33 million. Miles is also a former baseball player, a college baseball player, and coach. So, Miles, we are excited to welcome you to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited about it. Awesome. Let's dive right in. Would you mind telling us your story and, and how you ultimately got into manufactured housing communities? Yeah, I've, I've always been uh, entrepreneurial and, you know, I've had jobs and, and but I'm always um, excited about learning. And so I, I was studying real estate. I, I was reading a lot and I couldn't almost pull the trigger on a duplex and it just didn't feel right. And, and I didn't I didn't do it. And um, I was studying, studying. I've always been a little bit contrarian. So and I, I had a pretty intense sales job at the time. So it was I didn't have a ton of time, but I kind of stumbled upon mobile home parks and I, uh, I really liked the, the unique, you know, the moat that Warren Buffett talks about with the uh, hindrance to, to parks being built and um, the, the affordable housing piece of it. And, you know, just all the, all the factors that I think we all kind of know that study the space and, and, and that are favorable and just the, the shortage of affordable housing. So then I just went down the rabbit hole of, of books, podcasts. I mean, I've, I've, I didn't know what I was doing and, and I, didn't, I had never invested in anything except a personal residence. So I uh, just studied a lot for a while on the side. And finally, I, I got a little more time with my job. And at the, you know, I was just paying a guy in the Philippines, building up an owner's list. I was studying like crazy. And then I was just joining courses, uh, Ryan Naris, Ian Tudor. I was in first one in their mentorship. I did uh, the, the Sunrise with Kevin Bupp. They had a program. I did that. I did you know, obviously the boot camp with Frank Ross. So I just kept putting money in and, and trying to learn and put money into this list. And, you know, I was doing some mailings and things like that. And then finally started doing some cold calling. That's when I finally got some, got some traction. And so I, uh, I think the first, I had seven deals under contract, you know, in the span of about a year and like every single one of them <laughs> fell through. So it was oh, a lot of uh, frustration and I was started off trying to wholesale because I just didn't know what I was doing really. And, but then I'd pick a wrong buyer or, or a bad park and, and it just wouldn't work out. And so I finally was able to get one of those to go through you know, I finally had this one seller is about five hours away. I, he was ready to sign. He's like, but I need to meet you in person. So I, I drove all the way over there and, and I get there and he changes his mind and I'm, and I'm just crushed. Oh, no. I'm like, no, like <laughs> I, I drove all this way and you, this is, 
this is really, you know, <laughs> so, um, but yeah. he's like, Hey, I got I, a friend of mine. He has a, he has a small part. He, he wants to sell. And I looked up, it was nowhere on my list. It was not on Google. So I called the guy and he said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you for what I bought it for. Um, 17 years ago, it's, it's 180,000, 20 grand down seller finance. And it was a, a 21 space park. I think he had like 14 occupied and it was like all tinted on city water, city sewer. And I was like, really? Okay, great. 20 grand, you know? So, um, <laughs> so that was the first deal. And, uh, finally, I mean, a lot of years of, of spending money and pain and frustration, probably at least three, three, three to four years of before I could actually close on a deal. And that was June of 2020. So not that long ago. And then, and then all of a sudden it was kind of like just pushing a boulder down the hill. It was a ton of initial effort, but then, once you got that first deal, things started to start rolling a little bit. So, wow, that is fantastic. So you started, you said like three to four years before you closed on your first park in June of 2020. So you were, you were about the time that I got started 2016, 2017 is when you, you started trying to wholesale and wholesaling is tough, right? And for those of you that are not familiar, basically you get a property under contract and then you assign it to a new buyer for a higher price and you keep the you keep the difference as an assignment fee which is very tough very tough to do because of the timelines for due diligence and and financing and so forth so i uh i agree that is very cool so that first deal came by happenstance wasn't on your list 21 lots tell us about that deal you know w- once you bought it in june 2020 you know, how did you use your own money? Did you raise money from, from partners? What, you know, CapEx did you do? That'd be great. My partner, Ryan Groney and I, we, we basically just bought that ourselves. And he had done a couple of deals before me, but that was my first deal. So we wanted to try to, you know, make sure we do at least one on our own before we start raising money from people. And uh, we've, we've, it's been like one thing, it's almost it's like the law of small parks to where um, <laughs> what can go wrong will go wrong. And then you don't have enough money coming in to really offset a lot of things. So, I mean, there's been electric poles fall down, sewer, water lines breaking, like road repairs, just one thing after another. It's kind of been a headache. Jeez. And we've actually lost a little bit. We've lost some money on this deal, despite that it was probably worth 275 300 when we bought it and, and we bought it for 180 and we still haven't come you know so we're we're thinking about selling it uh pretty soon you know and, and so that would be um kind of the first exit i guess just to reclaim some capital and it's been a headache but it it, it got me in the game and uh we we bought it bought it right at the right price and we have you know made it quite a bit nicer a lot of a lot of repairs and things like that. We put a uh, Metron meters in there to to submeter water and, and and so just done some things like that. So fantastic! Tell us about Ryan Groney and you, your partnership. Uh, you know, Treeside Capital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was kind of a uh, nice to, enough to talk to me on the phone for free when I was starting. When I just had a bunch of questions, and uh, he was really good at the. He has a finance degree. So, I mean, he's good at the underwriting. He had experience uh, working for a company in Ohio that, and he was running all their operations. And for me, I, I've, I mean, I've learned operations, I've learned underwriting, but I definitely wouldn't say I'm good at it. So I've, I've kind of had a background on sales 
And even when I was coaching, I was the recruiting guy, which is pretty much sales. So <laughs> I was willing to hop on the phone and make a ton of phone uh, cold calls and bring deals to him. And then he would help me underwrite it and figure out, you know, how to finance it operations. And so we had, we had different skill sets and I was better at probably better at making those calls and connecting with the owners and going to see them in person and developing that relationship. And so I'm kind of like the ready, ready fire aim guy. And just, I kind of do a lot of stuff fast and, you know, I'm not great at the details and he's better at some of those, some of those details. So it kind of works in that way that we're, you know, have different uh, skill sets. So, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And tell us, you know, how many parts are you guys up to with, with Treeside Capital? And I know, you know, you said it was about 1300 lots. So maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, we were, we're solely focused on mobile home parks. That's gone well, but just in the past year, we found it very difficult despite making a lot of cold calls, um, doing some mailings, some broker pocket listing, just, just hard to find things that really pencil out for us. And, and the, you know, sometimes if you get in a competition, there's always somebody that has the cheaper costs of capital that can afford to pay more. So um, we, we kind of stumbled on uh, RV parks as well. We, we bought a couple small self-storage facilities just to kind of see if we liked it. And uh, it's been okay, but in the future, we want to buy bigger if we're going to do that. But really, we're not, we're not focused on that. We're, uh, we're really finding opportunities in RV parks. So there's a lot of mom and pops. I think there's 95% of RV parks are, are mom and pop. And we really like the non-transient type of park. So it actually functions kind of like a mobile home park to where they either pay monthly or annually. And uh, it's a second home type of place. So that requires less staff than a transient park where people are, are doing a lot of nightly stays. And it's also a little more, a little more stable. There's a huge, huge demand for it. So we, we try to really make sure the location is good, whether there's a lake on the property or it's really close to the lake or it's close to uh, tourist attractions, things like that. So right now we have eight mobile home parks. Since December, we've bought five RV parks and we have three more under contract and one mobile home park under contract. But, you know, we're hoping it works out, but with the interest rates uh, rising significantly, we, you know, we're not sure like what's gonna, what's gonna actually close and what's not, but we're, we're trying our best. So yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, we, I think we got eight mobile home parks, six RV parks and two storage facilities right now. And then hopefully, hopefully buying some more. And it's, you know, it's, it's been a little crazy because it's happened so fast. I mean, it, it's just different problems from when I started, but we're, we're trying to build out our team and hire and train people as fast as we can. But uh, it's been, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been, it's been fun and I've, I've learned a lot. So. Yeah. I mean, three different asset classes in a, a relatively short amount of time, right? Just a couple of years, you know, what can you tell us like which one has performed the best thus far? Yeah, I would say mobile home parks are the most stable just because of the, you know, there's a lot of people that know about it now. So it's gotten tougher. I do think the CapEx is a little bit more because if you have to, like, for example, one park we inherited was pretty rough. I mean, we've already demolished 10 homes at $3,000 a home. Now we have to find newer used homes. We have to pay to move them, to set them for each lot. So that obviously that's very capital intensive. Whereas the RV thing, if somebody doesn't pay, you just say, hey, leave, and they just leave and you, and you get somebody else. 
and it's not as as capital intensive. But I, th- I think all three, I mean, it's it's really a collections business and, and just staying organized with that piece of it is the most important part. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for us right now, we like the uh, kind of we're seeing a lot better like front end cap cap rates, like with the RV parks and more deals and also with some upside. So that's kind of where we're focusing our attention right now. So very cool. Yeah. I would say that the mobile home parks are definitely more CapEx and, you know, intensive when you have to, you know, demo homes, bring in new homes, rehabbing homes can be expensive, but I think that's also what helps create that moat, right? Because it's very hard for somebody. It, it rarely happens, right? Where a tenant that owns their home moves it out of the community because it's, it's very, you know, very stationary. So yeah, that's, that's a, a good point. it's a double-edged sword, right? It's a, it's CapEx intensive, but you know, it also is a good thing because it keeps them there. Tell us about your team at, at, at Treeside. What, you know, what does that look like? Who handles operations? You know, what is that? Do you have your own property management company? Do you use a third party property management company? It's been interesting. I mean, I think that's kind of been one of the hardest things to do is just, is just build out the team and, and the systems and, and, you know, it's a work in progress, obviously, but um, we're, we feel like we're getting better at it. I mean, for a long time, for a while, it was just Ryan, like basically managing all our on, on-site managers at the properties. And uh, now we've hired a, a director of operations and a operations assistant. And we hired a guy that does uh, underwriting and creates our OMs for us. And then we have, a, we have about seven people in through Upwork.com that we use in um, Southeast Asia that do a lot of things, whether it's SEO or, or building websites or uh, building an owner's list or cold calling or just just a number of posting on social media, just a number of things. And that's really helped us because, uh, as you know, like when you get started, the 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 budget is not is not very large. So you kind of have to bootstrap and find find different ways to do things. And so that's kind of what it looks like now. And we're definitely going to hire another operations person here soon. Ryan and I are both kind of diving in in every area, like helping move stuff along and then also participating heavily in like in acquisitions and, you know, just finding bank financing, doing, doing all those sort of things. So eventually, hopefully we'll kind of build out, you know, like you've done, like build out all those roles so you can kind of oversee more and not get caught in the weeds. So, I mean, we're still kind of, we're, we're definitely better than we used to be, but we're still not quite, you know, to where we need to be in the future. So it's, it's a process. If you got any good advice for me, I'm all here. So <laughs> yeah, it just takes time. You know, I think it takes time to build the systems out, but you know, the better your systems will be, uh, you know, the better you're able to kind of bring in people. And I think turnover has been one of the tough things for us is when you have turnover, you know, can someone else easily come in and fill those shoes or are they starting from scratch? And that's why like every person on our team has like a written, you know, bio of their role and a new person comes in, they can at least tread water for a while. So that's, that's something that I would recommend if you don't have it already. Um, but let me ask you this, Miles, what do you think is the toughest hurdle for most operators in mobile home park ownership? Yeah. I mean, once you, once you've acquired it, I, I think it's like, sometimes it can be working it depending on like we have one county that's just giving us all kinds of problems in terms of uh bringing in homes and they've had a ton of staff turnover 
And then the one guy said one thing and then they hired a new guy and they hired another, another thing. And now we're having to hire a lawyer to like get it. And so like, you know, depending on the county that you work with, that can be a colossal headache. So I think that's really worth diving into and due diligence. And sometimes it's really hard to, uh, hard to, you know, figure that out. But also, I mean, I think just, just finding a quality manager for the property is really mm. difficult because you're talking about a, a situation to where it's not a high, high paying job. You're having to deal with, you know, at times some very unsavory tenants that aren't the best people to deal with. And do they have the skills that you need? Like what's tasks you bring in house to ease that process? Just all the little things that comes with it. They have a bunch of junk around, around their yard. You know, they pick it up one day, you come back two days later, it, it looks worse. Just all the things that come with that property management, it, there tends to be a lot of uh, turnover. And I mean, we've, we've built out our own management company. We're, we're trying to build that out right now and improve on that instead of hiring third parties. So we think that'll help us in the long run. But I think the kind of, you know, those two things are, are pretty important and, and not always the easiest to deal with. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I did an interview with Mike Conlon from Affordable Communities Group. And one thing that I took away from, from that interview and implemented in my business is I overpay the on-site managers. You know, when you go to the boot camp with, with the MHU boot camp with Frank and Dave, they tell you, hey, pay $10 per occupied lot plus free lot rent. We just think that's just unrealistic anymore because you've got to have a good boots on the ground person. Otherwise, things can go south fast. So that's one thing we've started doing is like paying like a very you know reasonable hourly wage and basing it off of hours instead of, uh, you know, instead of kind of the, the number of lots. But yeah, it, I like that. I agree. I agree. You gotta, you gotta have good boots on the ground. Uh, Miles, let me ask you this. What would you say is the hardest value add component in, in mobile home park investing? Yeah, I mean, in terms of being capital intensive, I think just in filling homes, I mean, it can be the most lucrative, but there's just so many pieces to that um, in terms of finding a, a mover, making sure everything's up to code, making sure the utilities are set, finding a home, maybe demoing a past home or moving out an old home that's non-repairable or if it is repairable, fixing that home. Uh, you know, obviously the easiest is just raising the rents or, uh, you know, improving your collections. But I think really everybody just talks about the infill process, but it's just really, I mean, I would not buy a park and just say, hey, unless you really have your systems built out, maybe you're a little bit larger company. But if you're a small guy and you're, you're counting on infill, especially in this day and age with the supply chain, like you're probably going to fail. So I, I think that's probably the hardest hardest thing. And what we've, what we've tried to do is, is really kind of find that balance of, what type of value add so like we like parks that are not war zones obviously you can probably that's a little more risky but there can also be more money at the end of the story there but we kind of like hey if they have good bones if maybe the value adds a little bit easier like the raising the market rents or there's a collections issue we really try to hone in on those type of parks if try to get city utilities if we can help it and uh and try to find those that have a little bit easier value add so that's that's kind of been our our thing we we kind of like the 
the safer, the some value add, but, but kind of like the easier, safer play and, and kind of uh, maybe not the skyrocketing potential returns, but like maybe a little bit lesser returns, but a little bit safer um, investment. So tell me, so do you guys do much infill? I mean, we haven't so far. I mean, we've, you know, we've kind of been scrappy about um, getting to know some mobile home movers and finding stuff on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace in terms of used homes and putting the word out with our community managers. And so we, we have, you know, got some used homes to fill in, but it hasn't been like a full fledged, like let's buy 30 new homes from, you know, whoever. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause that's been my bread and butter is the infill. And it's, it's been, you know, we had to create the systems and so forth, but you know, now we have a full-time person on our staff that just is dedicated to finding used homes. Like that's what they wow. do. They travel to where we need homes and go, go find them and, and help facilitate, you know, getting transporters and installers to bring them in. And it's been worth it, right? Because if you can spend, you know, even if it's 20,000 to bring in a home, you know, but lot rents are 400 a month, you know, you're, you're basically doubling your money to get that home brought in uh, based on the value it adds to the park. So it's like you said, it is uh, capital intensive. It is, you know, labor intensive, but it, it, it's definitely where I see a lot of value just sitting out there because these mom and pops, you know, if the, if the lots went vacant, they just left them vacant. You know, there's just so much opportunity there. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, we'll, hopefully, and hopefully we'll get there. And and unfortunately, some of the markets that we're in, I mean, maybe there's one where the lot rents are like 350, but um, we have a number that are like 200 to 250. So sometimes that makes it tougher too, because the yeah. lot rents, I mean, you can bump them, but you don't want to go from 200 to 400. And so that totally. makes it tougher too, when the lot rents are lower. So yeah, agreed. Um, where do you feel is the best opportunity right now? Uh, in mobile home park investing specifically, uh, or what type of strategy do you guys, you know, think is the best? Yeah, I mean, and, and do you mean in terms of uh, being being a GP or LP? I would say being a being a GP. Like, what type of parks do you guys take on? Is it the twenty one lot parks that have some little value add, but it's in you know fairly good condition? Or is it a, a bigger park with a lot of value add? You know, what does that look like? Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I mean, it has been a little bit tougher for us to find parks in the last year, but we're looking for uh, 50 pads or more right now. I mean, earlier on, we were okay with smaller parks, but just we have a couple of those, but it's just the expenses don't really change that much. And then you have less revenue coming in so i mean obviously we love city water city sewer but if we can get a park that's 100 pads or more i mean we're, we're definitely okay with uh uh treatment plan and and well and things like that we we, we totally want to avoid lagoons we don't feel comfortable with those so so yeah i mean i mean for us like we, we definitely if we feel you know if we feel confident with the infill we would definitely go after a park that's bigger and has a treatment plan and things like that. But I think honestly, like uh, in terms of marketing, instead of just calling everybody, especially if you already own parks, like draw a little circle around the park you own, maybe a 45 minute radius and really do a great job of following up with those park owners 
in that radius of where you own because it's just a different conversation to say hey do you want to sell and they have 10 people calling them saying that every week so yeah. say hey i own xyz park down the street just want to check in what you know what's your process been with with dealing with this county i'm i'm trying to do this and and then you know at the end of the conversation you can say hey have you know have you ever thought about selling and just kind of real low key and they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to keep it for a while. And then great. Hey, can I follow up with you? You know, I just love to get your advice on some things I'm doing. Everybody wants to give good advice. So like, that's what I, one of my favorite questions is like, hey, you know, can I get your advice? And, and people want to help you, you know, rather than you just asking them for something. So, uh, that, you know, and just creating that relationship. So and checking in and being great at follow-up with those people. And they already think you're legitimate because you own a park in their area. You've already shown you can close. Then they like you. And so when that time does come, you know, that that's the hope is like, hey, they they remember me, they like me, they know me, that maybe they don't list it, maybe they call me first. And then so that's that's kind of my our, my strategy to like really like separate yeah, by off market. From- looking off market and building relationships. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Miles, what mistakes have you guys made that our listeners could learn from? You know, I, a couple of times, at least once, like in due diligence, we were, we were just kind of busy with other things. And we did due diligence, but maybe it wasn't, maybe we didn't go there the last week. And the seller was not honest, and they were hiding some things or they took some stuff from off that personal property list that they should have left. And we learned like, hey, we have to go there at least a few days before closing, because once you close, it's hard to have a lot of recourse on, you know, oh, they took the, the $15,000 commercial mower and that was on the property list. And now they won't return our calls, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, and I would say just definitely probably trying to do too much. So instead of saying, hey, we, we need to hire somebody right now, just trying to do a little bit of everything because, you, you know, I think in the back of your mind, you always think, hey, you know, I can do it better. I don't trust somebody else to do it. When reality, if you're going to grow, you have to build out your team. So I think, you know, almost hiring somebody almost too soon to kind of help out, especially with the operations is is key because if you get too much stuff on your plate, you're not going to be doing a great job at, at anything. So I think those two things, like we've definitely, we definitely learned from and, and trying to, you know, obviously improve on that in the future. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. I think you gotta, a lot of people always talk about how their management company loses money every month and ours does as well. Right. And that's why we get acquisition fees and things like that from deals we're doing to help offset that because you know, you're only as good as your team. And that has been, I mean, I remember when I had my first five parks, it was just me. I was opening the mail. I was writing the checks to mail, you know, pay the bills for utilities and so forth. And it was just, it was just too much, you know, and I look at that compared to today. I mean, we, we manage parks way better today with our 18 member team than we did back when it was just me trying to do everything. You know, like now we're auditing our property taxes and and fighting them if they went up too high. And we're auditing, you know, our insurance packages and making sure that we're getting, you know, multiple quotes every year instead of just renewing with the same agent. Little stuff like that adds up, especially when a dollar, right, in a six cap property, a dollar a month is really worth $200 in asset value if you look at it at a six cap value. So really... uh, Really good stuff there. 
Uh, Miles, what, what would you say are the most important things passive investors, we're talking limited partners here, what do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? Yeah, I think just, just having a basic understanding of the space. So if you if you jump on a call with maybe a GP and, and, you, and you're kind of asking some real basic questions about the asset class, you're probably not going to be really confident in investing in, in the asset class. So I think it really helps like whatever... If you're going to put your money into something, you, you need to make it a priority to listen to some podcasts, read some books, talk to people, um, maybe even join a paid course, all those things, do, do some research. And then I've found that the education always makes you more confident. And then obviously just looking if the person has an OM or a webinar, uh, try to go through that. And then I think that really alleviates some concern and will allow you to formulate some really good questions in your mind that, you know, that might be good to bring to the GP. And then obviously, I mean, track record is important. Somebody that's owned a bunch of mobile home parks and they've been able to refinance or sell some successfully and, and provide returns, like you should feel pretty safe with that person now, but there's nothing wrong with investing with a, more of a newer person so they may not have that three-year window of ownership where they can show, you know, the refinance or the sell yet. But, you know, is it somebody that that owns a Airbnb in, in Mexico and then they found this mobile home park and they're like, all right, I'm going to buy it. Let's raise some money. And but has that person like taken any courses to learn about the mobile home park space? What, what's their education background? You know, that's something like they may not have a track record yet, but at least they could have that educational background and they could have a detailed plan. And then if you if you know the space, if you've done your research and, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, in their model, the property taxes are five thousand dollars a year. And, you know, like at that purchase price, they're really fifty thousand dollars a year that could kill the deal. And then that's like a red flag. Like maybe they don't really know what they're doing on the, on the underwriting side of it. So just, just little things like that. And obviously you want to, you know, Google somebody that you might invest with just to see if anything bad pops up, but um, you know, just, just to just finding that you also know, like, and trust that person. And so, you know, there's pros and cons, like these huge uh, companies, like you're never going to get to talk to the, to the GP or, you know, it's a REIT or whatever, you know, so sometimes like, like for us, I, I feel like that's, you know, maybe our OMs aren't, the graphics aren't as perfect as like a REIT, but like we're actually accessible to talk to. And like, you can, you know, we're happy to answer an email, phone call, things like that. So, I mean, it's like, you know, there's pros and cons to both. So Yeah, no, I totally agree. Great insights there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what are you guys doing to prepare, you know, for uh, an ensuing uh, recession, you know, preparing with what interest rates are doing with your current portfolio? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to really look at, I mean, I think it definitely could slow down the, uh, the acquisitions piece of it, um, which will obviously give us more time to really dive into the operations and, and the hiring and training. So, we're looking at that piece of it, but also we're, we're examining all our, uh, all our loans and, and looking at, you know, uh, we still have some time cause we're newer 
you know, when are these come and do like, what are our plans, you know, to, for those, um, how do we, you know, we, we're not really, I mean, we're not, we're not 50% LTV, but we're not 10% either, you know, like we're, you know, we're in a decent space there. And I mean, we're just keeping an eye on those loans. And then, and also, I mean, just with the RV thing, like the non-transient type of thing, we feel like that's safer. I feel like mobile home parks are, are safe. And, uh, and so, I mean, you know, I mean, that's probably my answer is a little bit scattered there, but, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at all those things. And, uh, obviously I think there is going to be some, some pain, but I think, you know, that's, that's kind of when the best, the best operators win. So we're, you know, obviously trying to do a great job in that area. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Miles, so much for, for coming on the show. If listeners would like to get a hold of you, what's the, the best way for them to do that? Yeah, treesidecapital.com, treesidecapital.com. And uh, we have a little free gift. It's just kind of like a little PDF. And if you want more info, just, just throw your email in there and it'll send you that. And then you can kind of get on our list to kind of see what we're working on and deals and things like that. And I'm also pretty active on uh, LinkedIn, just under my name and, and Treeside Capital. So yeah, would love to... Uh, yeah, get in touch with people and it'd be great. Awesome, Miles. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.